Welcome to the podcast M&A War Stories. You're joined by your hosts, Robert Heaton and Toby Tester. Each week, we walk through our experiences of M&A projects where we've been involved and we unpack the good, the bad, and the ugly. Our purpose is simply to leave you with valuable lessons that you can use in your M&A projects. And so let's not waste any more time and get this podcast underway. Well, hi, Toby. How are you? Great, Robert. How are you going there? I thought you'd have been underwater by now. It is absolutely horrendous rain in Sydney, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Look, I think last week I was saying I was actually starting to build my ark in the back garden. Well, I'm uh, a long way ahead there, um, almost fully constructed and ready to um, to go afloat and uh, on the water. So with rising water everywhere in Sydney, it's extraordinary yeah. um, the amount of uh, rain that's been coming down the past few days. And of course, yeah. the big problem is you get cabin fever. So I've been inside with nowhere to go uh, the last few days. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I know the feeling. Now, we are going to follow on from the conversation we had last week. Yes. And you're going to talk in a moment about value capture Correct. as an extension of what we talked on yesterday. And then if I've heard you correctly, you've also got your crystal ball recharged and you're going to talk about some predictions for 2021. Correct. You know? yep. Why don't we do that? And I'll try and disrupt you and throw all sorts of questions in as we go through. And then I've got three other quotes from Les Heyman, so I'll drop those on the end if you don't mind. That'd be very good indeed. All right. Well, the, the mic is all yours. Well, Robert, last week we were having a chat about M&A statistics and success rates. And and a lot of numbers get banded around, 80% failure rate and that sort of thing. And I actually yeah. last week went back to some actual surveys. And one particular one, which I think is a good one for PricewaterhouseCoopers, to give some actual statistics. Now, I thought that was interesting. And when I finished on that quote on, on that, I also talked about what the top three reasons as to why deals um, actually fail. And yeah. one of those, which I think was a particularly important one, top, out of the top three, there was yeah. one was, uh, I think it was uh, culture, I think was uh, was that yeah. one. The uh, There was another one, the integration simply taking longer than expected. And the third yeah. is that they weren't capturing value. They just weren't capturing the value of the deal. They somehow lost it. Do you mean by that they weren't capturing the value that was envisaged when the deal was first struck? Yes, Yes. Let me just go back to the PricewaterhouseCoopers report. And so I'm actually reading a section here right in front of me. This is the 2020 uh, report. And they say that even though 70% of companies had synergy plans in place at deal signing, it's clear that even carefully developed synergy models built during due diligence may not help deliver value during the integration. And survey results consistently show that capturing value in M&A can be elusive. Yep. Well, I reckon that in some cases yep. is because the value plan or the synergy plan that's put together during due diligence errs mm. towards being overly optimistic. And it's often there to try and sell or support the value in the deal. Yeah. And it's it, it, it's got a disconnect from the actual reality of being able to achieve that. Yeah, you're right. And I think a lot of the valuation effort is is there to just simply get it over the line to justify yeah. what it did want to do, and not necessarily 
to drive integration. So there is that kind of disconnect. I remember back to my SAP days, and this yep. has to do with M&A, but yep. big projects would get put up for funding. Mm. And oh, some, some of the some of the benefits that would come out of the out of these projects that were absolutely mm. mind blowing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? But they got no no grasp of reality whatsoever. Mm. Uh, they were just trying to sprinkle the theory dust, if you like, mm. so that the board went, "Wow, this is fantastic! Let's fund it." And I think there's some element of that in M and A. But anyway, I was going to give you my my top five. What I think where value capture sort of goes off the rails. Yep. And okay. I'll, I'll here they go five, and then there's a top one. So five. Yep. One is not aligning the integration effort with the anticipated value from the deal. So in other words, just what we've been saying, the yep. actual integration actually not even aligned with where the value is. They said there is in the deal yep. pre-deal. So that's one issue. The second thing is not defining the measures and the data for evidence. In other words, yes, you say we might have certain sales revenues or there could be greater increase in the customer base or it could be greater geographic reach. Well, what are the measures and what are the data? That's back to your point last week about yep. measurement by either strategic, Indeed. operational or financial. Yep. 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 Another one is four. simply not having the capability to say, yes, we got. imagine you got the plan. Maybe you have got the measures and the data. But do you, actually, do you have the actually ability to do it? Like people, resources, process, yeah. tools. So if you don't have those, yeah. well, then you can see yeah. how things get. And then I think the other one is not monitoring the changes. We know that m is a dynamic exercise. And what defines gets pre-deal? Well, that's pre-deal. But as we go through, we know that the situation Things changes move. and the, the opportunities also change and you need to change your business case as you go through. Yep. And I would say, finally, the overriding issue to do with value capture is that you get lost. When you do the integration and you're in the weeds of it, the deal side of it, why you're doing the deal, the value – that no longer becomes a priority, then it just simply becomes a me mechanistic exercise in uh, yeah. integration. I would agree with that, and that's why I'm an absolute stickler for, and I think I've used my jigsaw puzzle comparison yep. in the past. Yeah. Um, you always need to have that big picture. Why the bloody hell did we do this deal? Yep. What's the core values that we're going to drive from it? And you've almost, at regular points through the integration process, got to do the are we there yet test. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah indeed, indeed. And you, you've always got to go back against those original predictions, if you like, or projections. And if you uncover evidence that says, well, yes, that was a good prediction six months ago during due diligence, but what we've now uncovered suggests that's going to be 20% less. You've yeah. got to have the courage at the executive level to adjust your predictions so that what you're indeed. working against is reality. Indeed, indeed, yeah. indeed, um, yes. Well, no, none of these are set in stone. And so when you do a, um, evaluation, synergy evaluation exercise at due diligence stage, it will change as you go through. Yeah. You're spot on about the fact that once integration sort of gathers steam, so to speak, 
the emphasis is much more on yeah get get all these things bolted together get this working exactly get that exactly do it yeah and it, it becomes deep in the operational weeds yep and even when someone sticks their head up and says, hang on a minute, let's just go back to the strategy. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 we will next week. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's so, funny, really. Yeah. The, notion, the notion of value becomes a secondary thing. And I don't know about you, Rob. I've seen it time and time again. Oh, like, likewise. And that's why I, I am a stickler for trying to simplify the picture. You've got to be able to yeah. paint the picture like the front of a jigsaw puzzle. Mm. So that anybody that looks at it goes, ah, that's what they were trying to do. Yes. That's what all of the farmyard is. Mm. That's where the sky is. Mm. And always be able to go back to that and say how much of that picture is materializing. Mm. Mm. And if you can't if you can't do that in simple terms that can be easily communicated, then you're mm. going to have the problems that we're we're talking about in actual fact i just might finish off this section by going back to the pwc report and i'll just quote them very quickly and they say this is their headline capturing synergies may not always be a metric of focus in other words while synergy capture is generally considered yeah. the common goal in acquisitions it does not necessarily rise to the same level of importance in all deals so all i'm saying here is, is that yes it's important yeah but it's just not the focus yeah. when you get into yeah. it and that's the issue because a thousand other things come to the front. A thousand other things come to the front. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. And yet you'd think, having spent 200 million, 500 million, whatever your deal size is, on acquiring another company, you'd, you'd, you'd sort of want to make sure you've got something <laughs> with it. Somehow, you would indeed. You would indeed. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it, when it comes to capturing uh, value from a deal, uh, Rob, there, there has to be, as you said, it's the jigsaw thing. It's not just a process. It's, a, it's an overarching approach or a way or a modus operandi where you actually always make sure that this value is central to everything that you're doing yeah. in the, yeah. in, in the um, post-deal side yeah. of the um, transaction. And yeah. that pushes the behaviors as well. So it's not preset. Nothing's preset. In other words, you do the you go through the agile approach where you have your, your sprints or your short yep. bursts of activity, but you're yep. always going back and reevaluating where you are on the deal, where exactly. the value is, and what tactical changes you need to be able to make to seek out perhaps other opportunities or perhaps drop an initiative. It, it may not deliver the value you thought it might. I always recommend that mm. any integration project, at least quarterly, has to go back up in front of the board. Yes, yeah. You've got, yeah. You've got a responsibility back yeah. to the board and you've yeah. got to be able to, and that's where you get back to the strategic layer. That's yeah. the bit that says, this is what you did this deal for. This is the yeah. value you were expecting. Here's how that value is materializing yeah. or not. Yeah. Right. And here's some of the decisions we want the board to approve in order mm. to continue to drive. Anyway, yeah. Indeed, indeed. We, we, we know that. And it's yep. fascinating that it's a discipline that tends to get left behind. It can be. I'm afraid, yeah. 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 Fascinating. We should definitely talk more about that. Now, you've got your crystal ball recharged, I hear. Yes, I, I do indeed. So, I it was actually in the news uh, today here in Australia. I was having a look at the business section, Australian newspapers, and Herbert Smith Freehills, 
just released, in actual fact, it's released today, the Asia-Pacific M&A review for 2021. Now, what I found particularly interesting about this is that they are very positive in yeah. terms of M&A activity for the remainder of this year. In actual fact, they really do think it's a bumper year for Australia. And right. if I was to summarize what they said in the press release and uh, in their report and that is to say that Australia generally speaking has actually done quite well from the pandemic insofar as that they've coped with the virus they have emerged economically very well bumper job report by the way you notice that coming out I did I saw that you did you see that and certainly the market is booming here certainly in terms of property and um, employment and And I think that there's a general sentiment that the world sees Australia as being both politically safe and economically safe. Yep, I would agree with that. Yeah, and so I think that as we come out this and as the vaccinations rises, and this is pretty much what the report's saying, so I'm just simply echoing what it says, that we're going to see a lot of activity in the year M&A-wise because it is seen as being a safe bet, politically yep. safe, economically safe. Now, I'll just go into their predictions. So they've made five predictions for 2021, and I just want to rattle through them, what they what they say. First of all, yep. private equity um, is going to be a key player for, for the remainder of this year. And it's funny, perhaps 10 years or 20 years ago, Private equity is a bit of a novelty thing. Most of it was uh, strategic purchases made by corporate buyers. Uh, but nowadays, private equity is is more and more common. And they say that eventually the combination of dry powder and deal appetite will see private equity will be highly engaged in the M&A market for the rest of this year. That's yep. one. Two, prediction, Foreign Investment Review Board will be particularly active as well. Now, the Foreign Investment Review Board, similar to CFIUS in, in the United States, is yeah, the regulator responsible for making sure that any deal, if it's an overseas purchase, has to go through the foreign for approval. Well, yep. there's going to be particular issues if an overseas buyer is purchasing Australian assets. They will need to give it plenty of time to go through that process because it does take time. And so, Ferb, I, what I can say is Ferb, yep. a little bit like ASIC, yep. have been given more teeth in the last few years. They have indeed. They have and indeed. they are being more aggressive in terms of what they will and will not allow in foreign investment. Uh, Correct. And you're right to say ASIC because if I remember correctly, and I think it is ASIC or is it which regulatory, but the notion of gun jumping. So the gun jumping law has been exercised. And uh, so, yes, they have me given more teeth, most certainly, because this is politically sensitive as well. Now, there's going to be more cross-border returns, cross-border drivers cross-border deals and and again yeah. i'll say that because it's australia's politically safe and envir- economically safe for example i've just seen myself like rare earths yes china is predominantly the major exporter of rare earths but where other companies are looking to say well look we'd rather have a different supply chain other than china and that's where for example you might want to purchase or have access to rare earths from australia but that's a sort of a supply chain thing so we're going to see more cross-border type deals for for this year. 
And I think also, just adding this, and this is pure speculation on my side, yeah. but with the current and ongoing challenges with China mm. as a trading partner, mm. we're going to see much more cross-border stuff coming out of places like India, yes. Malaysia, yeah. Singapore, you know, and parts of Asia. Mm. There's going to be a shift in that direction. So. It's going to be interesting to see how that. It will goes. be, yeah. And I think the rare earths one is just simply an example, yeah, of yep. uh, Australia becoming now a major exporter of the rare earths as opposed to China. Now, other the next one is bidder tactics. I think we're going to see more hostile bids, more aggressive type M and A deals being made, and I think that just goes on with the higher appetite for deal making, and right. that I think there's going to be perhaps more audacious deals being made and certainly ones which will up the stakes and to generally more aggressive. I had a conversation with an equity player just a couple of weeks ago Hmm. and they have revised valuation model to be much more stringent and whereas before they would have some flexibility, they're now saying, no, no, you know, we're, 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 we're going out there, we're going to be making acquisitions, but the mm. multiples are going to be no more than yeah. three, or, three or four, right? Yeah. And, and yeah. That, that's definitely going to happen. Well, that's going to go along what they're saying here, which is very much around bidder tactics. So uh, yep. bidder tactics are going to be uh, changing and be somewhat more, host- uh, more aggressive. And yep. I think finally, just the sectors to watch, this is what they're saying, don't disagree. Property, financial services, and resources. So um, pretty broad sectors, but nonetheless, that's where they see are going to be the sectors to watch Pro- this property, year. Property, financial services, and resources. Yeah, I I would still say that technology industry and telco media are going to be big ones as well. Yes, it is. I think it's just one of degree, really. And um, also, the, yeah. I think it comes down to whether we're doing the actual the value of these deals or whether it's the number of deals. So I think it's, exactly. a, it's, I yeah. think it's, just, it's just a broad statement that these are the sectors mm-hmm. to watch. But I agree with you that I think um, the ones you said, which is media and tech, are also sectors to watch. Yeah, definitely. definitely. So I thought it was a very upbeat review. They have a very positive outlook for Australia, and I think it's largely due to the fact that this country has emerged quite well from the pandemic. Remember, there is no COVID here in Australia. I mean, we don't yep. have any incidents. It's and it is a safe bet. Yep, I would agree. I would agree with those predictions. I mean, time will tell how accurate they are, but as a mm. general course of direction i've got nothing in there that i would disagree with yeah i I think if i was to say anything myself that is i think this is a very much a a reset for australia as well and that in terms of m&a the process you follow that we need to be a bit more disciplined about our approach and also think more strategically in terms of like the business model and the operating model and take that kind of focus so that you're doing everything with purpose in mind yeah and Whilst I've got no particular alignment whatsoever, mm. my general review is that Herbert Smith Freehill, when they put their predictions and reports out, they're pretty much spot on. They, they take a very practical approach to it, and they, they seem pretty well – their crystal ball seems to be fairly 
fairly, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, sharp in its vision. Yeah, no, no, it's good, and it is a detailed report. So yeah. it goes on to each of the countries in the Southeast Asia region. I've just focused on Australia. I think you've sent me the link of that, so yep. I might just add that into the podcast okay. on their behalf and we okay. can uh, do that. Excellent. Now, if you don't mind, I'm going to finish off with uh, the usual Les Heyman section. Les Heyman, right. Yeah. So as we started last week, my old boss, Les Heyman, was former president and CEO of SAP Asia Pacific. He passed away some years back now, but he was my mentor all the way through. And he wrote a blog of which one part of that blog is 100 pieces of advice Hmm. for managers. And so I've chosen three of those pieces of advice and we'll just finish off the podcast with them. So today's three pieces are all focused around people. They're really good ones. Number one, never forget that great people have choices where they want to work. Right. Number two, if you hire someone for their strengths, don't discard them just for their weaknesses. Say that one again. Don't. If you hire someone for their strengths... Don't discard them just for their weaknesses. I like that one. That reminds me of a Drucker quote, Peter Drucker. Basically, maximize someone's uh, strengths and make their weaknesses irrelevant. That's it. That's it. And the last one has got the usual Les Heyman humor added to it. Yep. Hire people who are smarter than you. If you can't find them, you're deluded. (laughs) (laughs) I like that one. I like that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought we'd finish with that one. That's uh, that's a good one. That's a good quote too. Very good indeed. Yeah. Toby, as always, it's great fun. I'm, yes, great, great, uh, Rob. And Now, I, I spoke to Daniel from Kidder Williams during the week, and okay. he and I have actually recorded a couple of segments. So next week, I might add one of those into the podcast. It's pre-recorded already. I'll add that into the podcast next week. Daniel was talking about when is it appropriate to get tax and legal advice in an M&A. Okay. Very good indeed. And that's that's a really interesting topic because uh, I would say you want to do it early on, pretty early, because Uh, it it shapes everything. But I might be stealing his thunder. No, no. no. We shall shall listen to what Daniel has to say next week. Okay. But uh, uh, other than that, it's, as always, a pleasure. We will be back next week with another podcast recording of M&A War Stories. And all it leaves us now is to just say bye for now. Yeah, goodbye from a very rainy Sydney, which hopefully it will soon stop. (laughs) Yeah, the only thing is don't send any of it this way. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Talk again soon, Toby. Okay, bye.